exists with SEO, you can't rank uniquely unless you present something unique. But if you own your own product or if you own your own service like coaching, then you have more creative freedom. So if you can write content or solve problems uniquely and, you know, so you have to have your own product, you have to have your own agency to be able to do that, then the sky's the limit on, you know, the the type of customers you can attract. You're listening to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, the podcast for coaches, thought leaders, and change makers who are ready to become the standout expert. If that's you, stay tuned because you're in the right place. I'm your host, Samantha Riley, and I want to help you build a successful business sharing your expertise, generate the impact and income you need to create your ideal lifestyle. It's time to make a difference and scale up. Are you ready? Let's enter the lab. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, Damon. It's really great to have you joining me here today. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to chat, Samantha. Looking forward to it. So before we jump in, why don't you share with our listeners a little bit about yourself um, and what it is that you do in your business, the clients that you serve? Yeah, so I started a company called SEO National in 2007. Um, I, I very clearly chose to just be the SEO guy. I got a team of about 20, so we don't do paid ads, um, you know, just SEO, search engine optimization. And we can talk about what that is. Um, I'm a father of three, been married for 14 years. Um, my wife is super hot and I'm going to make her listen to this podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a beard. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that is probably the best opening to an interview that I've ever had. <laughs> I hate I hate the sales pitchy things, right? You know, yeah. I can't tell you how many times, even this morning, um, even when it's in business, I hate the sales pitchy things because I had a lead this morning and uh, I I had sent him, you know, the reports and this and that, and then we got on on a phone call today and and we just started talking and having fun, and then at the end he says, "All right, let's talk business," and I said, "It's three thousand bucks a month." the end. <laughs> he's, yeah. like, he's like, wow, that was super refreshing because you didn't give me some fake buildup. Uh-huh. You didn't try and walk me into like massaging what's so amazing about like, you're good at what you do and they either want you or not. And that's the price. Take it uh-huh. or leave it. And, yeah. and he even complimented how, how much of a breath of fresh air it was. And it's, I just take that approach with everything. Like, what's the point? Like, it's no benefit to you. It's no benefit to me to, to fake through a bunch of stuff. So I just, roll with whatever we roll with. <laughs> love it, love it. And, and yes, your wife definitely needs to listen to this episode. So um, <laughs> my husband didn't call me hot this morning, but I did laugh because I woke up this morning. I, I've done a couple of really long days in the office and I woke up this morning and opened my calendar and noticed that my husband has blocked out two hours in my calendar at lunchtime just because Aww. he hasn't been able to get near me for the last yeah. couple of well, days. Well, Samantha, you look amazing. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's go back I know you started your agency in 2007 which is right before a crazy time in the world in 2008 and whilst there wasn't a pandemic there then there was some Mm -hmm. some you know major economic downturn which is kind of what we're seeing right now how did you bring your company through that for a start and how did you scale mm-hmm. it? Because I know you even grew in that time. And I've got a funny feeling that you've probably got some similarities that you can share about that story that maybe we can bring into our business right now. Yeah. So obviously I didn't know that a recession was going to be coming the next year, but um, maybe, maybe I go back even a little bit further uh-huh. into when I decided to start the company. So um, I I got into web design and SEO. So let me define SEO for the, for those that might not understand what it is. So it stands for search engine optimization. The goal is to show up, have your website show up higher on search engines, but without paying for ads. Mm-hmm. So I got into SEO because originally I was into design. I had started a car enthusiast website in 2000 and um, it started picking up traction and gaining traffic. And so I was in my early twenties at that time. And I thought, well, this is cool. How do I, how do I get more visitors? And, and so I, perfected my craft and learned more design and then I said well how do I monetize this this audience and that's how I got into marketing so I did marketing on the side for a while and eventually I built up enough of a side hustle that I would guess 40% of my income came from the side hustle but my day job was consuming 80% of my time so I was making 40% of my income and 20% of my time And so I had a moment where I could decide, do I want to continue 
having a job and a side hustle? Or do I make a strategic sacrifice to free up 80% of my time? I'm going to lose 60% of my income. But I think why it's why this is often a good story to share is because you can take calculated risks that aren't as scary. Mm -hmm. And so what I did is I said, well, it's going to suck to lose 60% of my income, but can I pay my bills? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can pay my house payment, I can pay my car payment, and I can still put food on the table. And so that seemed like a very safe bet to take. And it's mm-hmm. still a bet, still a risk. But I mean, if you're not going to end up on the streets, I don't think you're going to have very many other opportunities to have a safer bet. So that, at that point, I decided to to start my company. And I, I would say company because it wasn't an agency back then for the first year or two. It was just cool to be self-employed. I was in my early 20s. And I could work at home and like had a maid. The end, which isn't really the end. So after a year or two, I, I said, well, I, I, I further realized the opportunity that I had. And so I said, well, why don't I do something with this? And at that point I said, well, why don't I start scaling? Why don't I hire more people? And why, why don't I kind of stop there before I get into scaling and kind of come full circle to starting before a recession and things like that. Mm. Where I, where I, where I grew was because, um, and, and there's a lot of similarities with now is I, I just brought value for a rate that I felt made sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in a very different position now as a business owner than I was then because then I was the budget provider mm-hmm. and now we are the top tier provider. And so back then it was 300 bucks a month. Now it's three to 10,000 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. And so of course, back then I wanted, you know, it'd be amazing to charge thousands of dollars per month, but I'm very ethic, very ethical and moral. And so I didn't feel like I could bring a $3,000 value. And so I decided where can I, where can I, come to a customer, establish a relationship and show them what good I can do and then grow with them. They grow with me, I grow with them. And so I was very customer first focused and Mm -hmm. still am. And we were able to establish good relationships. And then as as we continued to close the gap between the $300 a month provider and the several thousand dollar a month provider, then we said, okay, what can we do better? What can we add to justify the cost. And mm-hmm. so we always had to justify costs before we increase our rates. And as we added more value and and could scale our customers further, then we could scale our prices more. And the, what I took away the most, when I think back to 2008, 2009, that area, that time frame, I don't have any bad business memories. Uh, you know, of course, because it was such a big global thing, I know mm-hmm. it was a bad thing. Yep. But for me, I don't have any bad memories um, because we grew consistently. And I think the reason why is because what, what, what is very applicable to today is that people want to work with people that they can trust. Mm-hmm. And when especially in a time like now where people have to stretch their dollar further. They want to give it to somebody that is going to, they know is going to protect it as much as possible and genuinely do their best at giving them a return and not just saying, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to do amazing things and then just talk happy talk and what they want to say and not actually Mm. produce results. So transparency, I think matters more now than ever. And, um, you know, maybe we'll get into more conversation about how how important transparency has been to my company's growth. But I think that's, that's, um, a lot of that carries over to today is, you know, what can you bring at a justifiable cost to help somebody and build a relationship, right? You know, because everyone just wants somebody that can support them right now. Exactly. I just want to t- touch on that pricing quickly because when you're going through, uh, like how, let me start that again. So back when you set that price of $300 a month, how much, because that is quite low, right? How much was mm-hmm. that helpful in helping you grow your company at a time when there wasn't much money around? Because I hear a lot more so now than back then, um, cause I was also in business back then about, you know, high ticket sales. And I think that there's quite a lot of people that think that you can just charge high ticket sales out the gate mm. and you can. Um, but, but tell me more, how did you set that price at that time? So uh, my approach is a little bit different than probably a lot of the listeners that are in the coaching space. So when I, when I approached it, I, I'm kind of a hypocrite because I agree that you don't necessarily do hourly rates mm-hmm. um, because you should 
you should justify your value and there's a price associated with value. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, what I kind of did was I took a hybrid approach where I said, okay, um, we need to do things A, B, and C. And depending on the client, that will range in time spent between this much time and this much time. And so let's average that for A and let's average the minimum and maximum we'll spend on most clients for thing B and then let's average thing C and then depending on what those averages were um, by, uh, by average I mean average time frame mm-hmm. and so then let's add a little bit for the value on top of that and then come up with like an averages price and mm-hmm. so we did that because then we weren't gouging we could still be affordable we could still be profitable um, but we could also still um, come in at, at, and I'm not saying like race to the bottom of being the cheapest, but mm-hmm. you know, when price needs to be a factor in, in economic times like now, mm. like averaging it out worked well for us to, to maintain that profitability, but still bring value. Um, did I answer it? Totally. And and I did want to touch on that because I also have been through a couple of um, economic downturns and I've always said that, you know, business is different during those times. And what got us through both of those times was being very cost aware um, or what we were charging very aware because people don't have a lot of money, right? Um, But you also used that time to really tighten up our systems, tighten up Mm -hmm. everything in the business so that, you know, we could come out the other side. I think that when you make sure that you are growing during those times and really paying attention to what's happening in the business, you can actually come out even stronger than what you even came into these times. Like I think there's mm-hmm. huge opportunities. Um, can yeah. you can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things that kind of come to mind. Um, you know, on the high ticket thing, a lot of the listeners are going to now pick a fight with me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right. If they know uh, me, they'll already uh, know this is about to happen yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, maybe not. Maybe maybe they'll maybe they'll agree with me. But the the problem that I see in like the coaching space is the coaches, the coach coaches about coaching coaches, mm-hmm. and uh, that just like the super broad approach to your service. And like I said earlier in the intro about my fantastic beard, is that I am only an SEO guy. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think everybody knows that when you niche down, you provide better value propositions and you can provide better results. So um, I guess, I guess kind of trying to bring together a variety of topics. What I'm getting at is when you have high ticket pricing, like you have to justify your cost. And let's say, as you said, which is very true, you don't, you can start with high ticket prices, whether, mm-hmm. whether you put in your time or not, because, you know, it's all about the perceived value. Now, whether that's, accurate value or not and your morals is a different story but sure you could start with high ticket pricing whether you've proven your credibility but here's here's why i would kind of say hesitate to do that because when when you establish a relationship with a client um, and, and not necessarily because you're the cheapest but maybe because you gave them an opportunity to be affordable um, and then you prove that value then they grow with you and then you build trust. And then once you reach a certain level of of success, then those type of clients welcome you into their inner circle. Mm -hmm. And then they share, they share referrals and send you to other clients. I can give you a great example. A good friend of mine named is uh, his name is Joe Hansen. And he was one of my first clients 13, 14 years ago and probably about the year three or four mark for a two or three year window that one person sent me 25% of all the referrals in our entire business. Wow. And Joe's gone on to build and sell five businesses in 10 years. And so when I got in with him, it was his first business. Mm-hmm. He is ridiculously successful now. And there is not a single person in this world that could send him a postcard, do a Facebook ad, send him a mailer, send him an email that is going to get in between me and him. Mm-hmm. And those provide unique opportunities for you to build relationships with people that can give you access to businesses and relationships and clients you couldn't get otherwise. You know, one, one other example I can give you is um, when I get on social media, I tend to post more on LinkedIn. And when I post on LinkedIn, I don't send people to a funnel. 
Mm-hmm. I don't send them to a landing page. I don't have a call to action. So what I do, and, and I don't live in my private messages. And, and a lot of these other people will say, send a hundred messages a day and mm-hmm. it's a numbers game. And, um, you know, send everybody to this perfect funnel. And, you know, so what I do instead is, is I get on and I have my team or, you know, VAs or software. I, I try and find the best balance of scalability and semi-automation with total personability as I understand the value in scaling and automation, but I hate the lack of personalization. Like everybody knows when it's a fake thing. So Mm -hmm. a great example is, um, you know, Samantha, I hate to spoil the surprise, but after this call, you should get an automated message that says, Hmm. thanks for your time. But guess what it's, but guess what it says? It's different. It says, Hey, Samantha, beep, boop. This is Damon's fancy automated tool. Like I just acknowledge that it's a fake, uh, you know? And so you have to find that way to personalize. And so when I send these outreach messages on LinkedIn, I say, hey, you know, um, I appreciate connecting with you. I'm not selling you anything. You know, here's my background. Good to connect with you. The end. And I literally say that's a wrap in there. And unless they reply to me, I don't follow up with them. Mm -hmm. The reason why is because I want them exposed to my content. Mm-hmm. I want them in my network. Then they see my expertise. Then they, uh, then they establish a, a psychological relationship with me. The sales walls comes down. We now have trust. And so then when they do need my thing or your thing, then they just come to you and they go, Samantha, here's my money. Like, I already know what you do. I already know who you are. I already trust your morals. So uh, when, you, when you showcase your expertise, like you can, you can scale a business um, and establish those relationships without the, you know, if you go straight out the gates with high ticket thing, like you may get a head start, but you're not going to last. You're not mm. going to build a legacy. You're not mm. going to get referrals. Um, so it just, you know, it depends on if you're for the turn and burn or you want to actually build something. Yeah, totally. And you know, what you mentioned there, if we think back to, you know, maybe the eighties, People would do their research to do business with a company by picking up the yellow pages, finding a few people to call, ringing them, asking a bunch of questions. So then the person would go away and they would think about who they wanted to work with. Where now that I feel that that's actually flipped on its head, where Mm -hmm. we are following people, following their content, following, you know, whatever it is that we want. By the time that we reach out to that person, generally we're ready to buy. So we've actually Mm -hmm. flipped that whole buying process on its head. So I think that that's really cool because, you know, I mean, we've all had the LinkedIn messages where someone goes, hey, Mm -hmm. this is what I do. Can I help you? I don't know who you are and literally how you can help me and how do you know how you can help me? You're making a Mm -hmm. giant assumption. So I really, I really like that because I think that right now more than ever, we're in a P2P economy, like, you know, people to people. And we always have been, but I think that with the rise of automation, people appreciate it so much more. For sure. I mean, I would be willing to bet that the minority of the listeners ever get thank yous from their LinkedIn outreach. I get them all the freaking time. Mm, I get get messages where people are like, that was the best intro ever. That was hilarious. Thanks for not pitching me. Thanks for telling me your background. Like, thanks for this. Thanks for that. And it's because I don't sell. And, and, you know, earlier I I briefly talked about, um, you know, like little things that I do. And I I really think those little things make the big difference. And that kind of ties into the anti-automation thing, I guess you'd say. Um, So when we board a new client, we send them a a welcome package and I actually sign the thing with a pen. And (laughs) and it's not just an email, it's like a package, but then the package we have custom wax stamps. Like one of us actually sits here with a hot glue gun and pours wax on there and then takes a little brass stamp and goes like stamps our logo on it. That's so cool. And and we get people all the time that say this, or or we'll have people, new clients tag us on social media and be like, look at this and like unwrapping it and ripping through the wax or at, you know, month one, we'll send, um, like a handwritten thank you card that says thanks for the opportunity to work with you and you know month three like after the first quarter we'll say hey it's your first quarter seo birthday and we'll send them cupcakes and like all of these things i mean the stamp costs us 15 bucks one time and then it costs us like 10 cents in wax every time yeah so i mean we're, we're at like two bucks every time we send a thing but it makes a massive impact and and what you'll notice is you can balance the scalability so those are all scheduled things like in our crm it says at 
upon boarding, send them a welcome kit at month one, send them this at month three, send them that. So you can still scale these processes. And even though they're manual, none of them take more than four minutes to, mm. to do any of them. Mm. I love that so much. Being able to scale has got a huge amount to do with systems, processes. We talk about in our company of taking away that decision fatigue. So at, so at mm-hmm. all our team meetings, it's like, how can we take another layer of decision fatigue away? Because it's just like, we don't want to be thinking because, you know, we want to just be making sure that it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in our company, we've got a very similar um, philosophy to yours is that we automate the systems, but not the relationships. Yeah, um, yeah. So what sort of document or what sort of um, uh, systems did you put into place or how do you even know what systems to put into place to be able to grow? Um, Because even just that onboarding system that you were talking about then is such a cool um, procedure in itself. When we started documenting processes, it was actually um, like when you look back on things, like when you're in the middle of things, you don't realize how impactful they are at the moment. But when you look back, this the, when we document our processes, it was one of the, it sucked, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was it was one of the best things now. So the reason why I say it sucked is because, you know, by then we were um, a, a reasonably successful business. There was just a couple of us we were doing, you know, half a million a year or something like that and when we got to the point where we had processes but there was somewhere on a spreadsheet somewhere in my head somewhere over here somewhere over there and i was listening to emith revisited and four hour work week both in kind of the same month or two span and i what i took away from those books was emith reinforce kind of what we all know which is processes but uh, you know make your business dependent on processes instead of employees and and obviously like that's not to say there's nothing wrong with employees but what happens is as talent comes and goes then certain little tips and tricks come and go so if you make your business dependent on processes then it then employees are interchangeable which makes it scalable and then as the employees come in like they can still add their cool little things that they personally bring and their personal value but at least that way like it's a repeatable scalable process and then when i was listening to four hour work week um basically what i took away from that one was why don't i have more vas and so within i don't know two months three months um, I went from two or three VAs to like 10. And, and so when I started documenting the processes, um, I, the reason why I say it sucks so bad is because I personally went through and recreated every single possible process that can happen in SEO world and web design world that we do. Because if I was going to document these processes, I wanted to do it just once, like perfectly. Obviously, you have to adjust things here and there as needed, but I didn't want to have to come back six months later and be like, oh, I kind of skipped over that and did it just half effort. Um, And so it was, it probably took like a year, an hour or two every other day for a year because I'm still running the business, still a husband, I'm still a father. Um, And and so it was a long process, but it was the best thing ever Mm. because what happened is right, right when it was done, probably within the month where we really started wrapping up that process is we had a huge company come to us, probably potentially probably one of the biggest clients we've still had in the top three um, years later. And first of all, I wouldn't have felt confident bidding Mm. on the project. Um, They came from a referral. And so I had to not only, not only was our reputation on the line, but the reputation of the person that referred mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And so I, it gave me the ability to feel comfortable giving the bid. And then when we got it, like, let's, let's remove the moral equation. And let's say I just put in a bid anyway, and we got it. Like, what the hell would I do then? Mm-hmm. Like, how would I actually fulfill it? And, and so it was amazing to be able to put in a bid. And then we got the contract. And so here we are with this huge contract. And I have days to launch. No problem at all. Day number one, vet the talent. Day number two, welcome to the team. Here's the CRM. Goodbye, you know, and and just let them rip. And as long as you hire talent that can read and follow directions and you've documented your processes, like they can't screw it up. The the ability for your talent, your team to screw up is entirely your fault. Whether they're Mm. amazing at it or they suck at it is because you didn't document your processes. Yes, totally, totally. Um, Before we jump into uh, talking about SEO, I just wanted to touch on something you talked about then, and that's that you 
made sure that you were set up with your VAs first and then you took on the big client. And I think a lot of people actually think, well, I'll take on the big client and then I'll hire the team. How much of a difference did that make to you being able to to bring that client on in the first place? Well, at the time, um, I mean, that one client made up like 15 or 20% of our revenue. I mean, it was a big addition to our revenue. Um, so being able to hire the talent, I didn't have, you know, maybe this is a topic we, we talk about a little bit more. Um, I've kind of worked out a process for how we hire talent, especially when they're working remote. You know, what's interesting is um, my longest team member is been with us for about 11 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and until March of this year, uh, I had never met any of, I have 20 employees. Mm-hmm. I have never met any of them. Oh, wow. in person. And so um, in March, so about half of our team is in the States, half of our team's in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And so I still haven't met my, my stateside employees. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, we talk all the time on Skype and things like that. Um, and, and maybe we, maybe we continue talking about after mm. what, what I get to, maybe we talk about team loyalty because yes. I've never had an employee quit. I've wow. certainly had to, I've certainly had to fire some, yep, yep. but I have, I would put my team loyalty up against anybody's mm-hmm. and that's even with me having never met them. Yep. Um, so earlier this year though, I never met him until uh, I went out to the Philippines March 7th, mm-hmm. I think it was. And then, um, that's, wow, that that was flying in by the by the skin of your teeth, wasn't it? Well, it was going out <laughs> right when right when coronavirus was becoming big news. It had been on the news, but it wasn't what it is now. Uh-huh. And so we were out at um, this uh, underground river. It's like one of those new seven wonders of the world. And um, we come out, and it was funny because my dad knew I was traveling, and I come out of this cave, and I got like hundred phone calls from my dad and my dad's always super vague and he sends me a text did you hear did I hear what dad (laughs) and so he starts telling me about all these travel shutdowns and this and that and so I told my team I said I think this is the writing on the wall um because I certainly had concerns as I was getting ready to leave if if something crazy was gonna break out and so uh I, I I made the decision then. I said, you know, the hotels are paid for. If you guys want to stay, you can. None of none of my team in the Philippines lived on the island that we were on, uh-huh. so they would all have to travel too. But within two hours of us getting back, I was on a plane back to Manila and had rescheduled my flight the next day home. Uh-huh. And you are not joking when I said, you know, skin of your teeth, because when I flew from it was called Palawan. When I flew from Palawan to Manila, there was the, the airport was dead. Mm. and my team stayed 10 hours was all the difference it was mm-hmm. 10 hours and they sent me messages on the phone the next day they were in line two to three hours yeah on this it, tiny little crazy time yeah and when i flew across the ocean back home half the airplane was empty and then by the time i landed every airport had just canceled fly hours up and up on hours of lines and yeah the, the, i mean I'll stop there because I just think that, that was just a fascinating experience for me. So yeah, absolutely. Um, anyways, where did we leave off? <laughs> uh, <you> <laughs> team loyalty. Team loyalty. Um, I, I do a lot of, I, I would say a lot of it goes aligns with the same concept of the small details that you, you bring to the table for your customers. Um, you know, the examples I gave of, of the handwritten notes and cupcakes and things like that. I do the same thing for my team. Hmm. Um, so I have two of my Filipino team members. Um, one just got married two weeks ago and he invited, or he asked me to be there. I, I, I hope I don't say this wrong. I think it's called Ninong and it's like a godfather. So he asked me to be a godfather. That's the third time I've been asked to be a godfather. Oh, that is so and beautiful. So, um, I've been asked to be a godfather of one of my team members' newborns. Um, I uh, the the story that I like the most is two of my team members are, are a couple that are married, and they just celebrated their four year anniversary. And when they were married, my my wife was pregnant with our daughter, and so they invited me to physically come to the wedding. And my with my wife being do relatively soon at the time i i didn't feel comfortable bailing halfway across the world yeah yeah and so i you know i said thanks i just can't make it and we made it we started joking about well why don't you make a replica daemon yeah and i have pictures of a six foot tall daemon among uh you know a five and a half foot tall uh (laughs) family of filipinos so 
I mean, I don't, uh, it's such a funny story, but like, if you think about the core of how much, how much of an impact you had to make on somebody's life for mm-hmm. them to have a cardboard cutout of you in their actual wedding line. Wow, like it sounds hilarious, awesome. but it, it, it is a really like deep story. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I just treat them. I just treat them. I think where I, what I've learned the most um, in personal life and in business is, is not from mentors and not from what people have done right, but what, from what people have done wrong. Um, you know, before I started my company, I worked in, um, I had a lot of great employers, but some of them were, very toxic environments mm-hmm. to work in. And so I said, I don't want to do that. And I don't want to do that. And, um, just, you know, growing up when I was younger, we moved a lot and there wasn't a lot of financial stability. And so I always said, when I'm older, I want to be able to give roots to my family and, and have that stability. So I think there's a lot of opportunity to look in the mistakes that other people make and, and reverse engineer, you know, how to come out better and do things opposite from those people. It's kind of like being a parent, right? There's things that, you know, as a kid, you're just like, I'm never going to do that. (laughs) It is the same sort of thing. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, love it. Um, Client retention. You did, I just want to circle back to that um, because you were talking about the client that you've had for, you know, 13, 14 years. Mm -hmm. Is your client retention process similar to your talent retention process is it the same sort of philosophies i think it's the same concept yeah um which is just you know genuine appreciation for the relationship um and and obviously we drive results so i think I, i think if i had to like say here's the formula what it would be is provide um transparency at the beginning uh a lot of times we i'll, I'll give you another story one time there was a gentleman that reached out on LinkedIn and said, Hey, I saw your post. We're looking for SEO. He happened to be local. Most of our clients are not local to at least where I'm at in Utah. And so I went and met him, did the business meeting thing. And he sent me an email like an hour later and said, you know, what's refreshing about meeting with you is not often do you leave a marketing meeting, not more confused. <laughs> He he says, not only did you come in, you know, you didn't sell us, you educated us. You explained obviously the the advantages of what you offer, but you also were willing to discuss the disadvantages and, and setting that transparency right out the gates, I think establishes a lot of trust that you don't have an opportunity to come back and do later. Like you either do it right at the beginning or you don't. So we were very transparent. Um, I, I make sure that people understand the only downside to SEO that, that I just kind of mentioned is that it, it takes time and, mm-hmm. and there's, you know, logistics behind why, but when, but I explain that it takes time and here's why, and I educate them on the process and, and even better, the more that I can educate them, the more they can help us help them deliver a better performing campaign. And then I don't, I don't educate them just once we educate them in the negotiations. I reiterate it in the contract um, we set, we have, you know, scheduled emails during the boarding process that says, here's expectations. Number one, here's expectations. Number two, like just constantly setting expectations. And during that process, then we have the personalization. So we do the welcome kit and the thank you note. And I think that really brings them home, um, where it just makes them all in and they're like, okay, like these guys are on our side, they're on our team. And I actually just had, um, somebody on LinkedIn who's a client write that in one of my comments because one of my comments was about or one of my posts was about the value and transparency and his, word for almost word for word he said something along the lines of transparency is an understatement like we feel like you're part of the family and you always have our back and so i think in the first few weeks and few months depending on what services you offer like you have a unique opportunity to really get these people to to become lifers with you mm. and uh, and if you can establish that trust at the beginning it's pretty hard to screw it up later. Like Mm. I'm not saying you don't have to continue to be stellar and and drive, you know, good results, but it's not like, like I'm not sending cupcakes every three months. Mm. I mean, after Mm -hmm. the three month, the six month mark, after that, it's just performance. Like I'm not, I'm not. (laughs) Yeah. You could buy your own cupcakes now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, I think there's a fine line between buying the relationship Mm -hmm. and I don't want to feel like I'm sending them a thing to be like, Hey, I still like you. Can we still mm. do business together? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so I think it's a unique balance of obviously you have to be good at what you do and justify the prices and what you offer, but the way you present it 
And if you can educate them and be transparent about it, like there's all these cliche sayings about, um, you know, people like to buy, but nobody likes to be sold. Mm -hmm. And there's so much more truth to that. Everyone that just Mm, heard that knows that they're like, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you like actually stop and think about it, that, um, people are willing to buy, but, but it's because people buy from you, Mm -hmm. like they may pay your company, but they buy from you because there's something there that they resonated with. Yeah, totally, totally. So let's talk a little bit about um, SEO. I know that SEO is great for e-commerce. You know, there's certain, you know, insurance companies is, is sort of, you know, they're the sort of things that people search. But the people that listen to this show are more, um, you know, coaches and consultants. How much does SEO apply to them? Equally, you know, what's funny is um, insurance companies and e-commerce are usually the ones I shy away from. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny that I, we didn't even talk about that before we started. Yeah. So, you know, I can kind of explain why and it'll, it'll support what you're saying about mm-hmm. the value of SEO coaches. So, you know, the thing with e-commerce, we certainly have a lot of e-commerce clients, but they have to own their product. So if you're a wholesaler or a retailer of somebody else's product, then the problem that you run into, and this is the same problem with insurance companies, the problem that you run into is you don't have as much creative freedom to, you know, write content and make graphics and videos about those things. And insurance companies are very clear why you run into that problem. What happens is at least here in the States, like there's very specific guidelines and liabilities on what you can say and can't say with insurance companies. Mm -hmm. And if you're an insurance broker and you don't have your own agency, then you can only say what the parent company will let you say. Mm -hmm. And so the problem that creates is with SEO, you, you can't rank uniquely unless you present something unique. Mm -hmm. So if, if you're just stuck with the same repetitive verbiage that, that, you know, Nike, Nike shoes is the generic example I always give. Like there's a ton of companies that sell Nike shoes. And if you go to their website, they all have a very same similar templated message about the shoe has this features and, you know, it comes in these colors and you can't really deviate from that. And so that's the problem you run into with e-commerce. But if you own your own product or if you own your own service like coaching, then you have more creative freedom. There's a lot of technical things we can talk about with SEO, but like if you look at it from um, a simple, like an elementary level, Google just wants you to make them look good. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is Google wants to provide an answer that solves a customer's problem, answers their question, fixes their pain point. And so if you can do that, then at some psychological level, then the user says, well, Google helps solve my problem. That's why that's why so many people use Google is because mm-hmm. it directs people to better results than the majority of the other search engines. Google wants to maintain that ability to look good. Mm-hmm. So if you can write content or solve problems uniquely and you know, so you have to have your own product, you have to have your own agency to be able to do that, um, then then the sky's the limit on, you know, the, the type of customers you can attract. And now one thing that you can kind of uh, might help illustrate this better is when you do paid ads, you are targeting a demographic. Mm-hmm. When you do search engine optimization, you're targeting buyer intent. Mm-hmm. And so with paid ads, you can kind of aim for buyer intent, but you can't, you're not necessarily showing up for a search query. Like a search query, you can very specifically tap into the need of what that person is searching for. But when you're doing paid ads, basically saying, well, most of my clients are men or women. Most of them are this age. Most of them follow this other page or like this thing. And so you can't, like you're trying to generalize and stereotype a demographic. And, and I'm not saying paid ads don't work. Obviously mm. they can work, mm-hmm. but it's just a different approach. And so you can attract more loyal customers um, that have a very specific need. And so like, if you can, identify, and you know, maybe that's what we talk about next is how do you tap into the thought process of customers? But if you can tap into the types of questions to answer and blog about and videos to make, then when the people come to your website, like you direct them to a very specific result. And then they're like, Holy cow, Samantha read my mind and I need her mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. versus paid ads. It's like, well, you, you might have this problem or maybe this problem and you try and just generalize everything. So totally. Um, yeah. And I hear SEO people saying that all the time. You just need to think about, you know, what they're typing into Google. But 
how, like where do people start? How, how do you know even where to begin with that? Because I, I hear that all the time. Two, two really easy answers. One of them is hysterically simple. <laughs> go, go to Google and type it in. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like if you, if, you go, if you go to Google, it has what's called autocomplete. Uh-huh. So as you start to type out, how do I do X, Y, and Z? Then it's going to go, oh, Samantha, well, here's these 10 things. Uh-huh. What those 10 things, you know, five things, 10 things, so many, what those are in those autocomplete results is Google very definitively telling you, well, most people that search for these first three words end up completing the sentence with one of these combinations. Mm-hmm. That is based on historical data. Why? Because Google wants to look good. And so they want to send them to the most immediate answer. And so they're going to help them shortcut to find that answer quicker. Mm-hmm. And so that is those autocomplete options are historical examples of exactly what your customers want. Mm-hmm. So that's one option. Um, another option is also free. There's a website called answerthepublic.com. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I Public- love that site. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a it's rabbit so hole that you can get caught down for many hours. <laughs> it's so, it's so funny. The way that you reacted is hilarious because People either like, oh, I haven't heard of it, or if they've heard of it, they are just totally in love with it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Apart from the weird guy on the front. <laughs> yeah. Did you see how they switched from like an older gentleman to like a new anxiety-driven like guy that's a little bit younger? <laughs> I don't. I don't know what their marketing me- their marketing approach is, but it's definitely intentional for them to like make yeah. you feel uncomfortable on their website. Yeah. <laughs> So this anyways, is, this you, is the people on the other side of your computer. They have twitches. <laughs> yeah. So you go to their website, you type in, you know, a, a phrase and what it does is it, it will pull data from, you know, likely places like autocomplete and other sorts of keyword queries. And it'll give you like a chart, uh, kind of like the who, what, when, where, and why, or whatever you search for. And this is again, very clearly what you know, questions your audience has. And so you can then turn around and make your coaching videos about that or your blogs, or if you hate writing, then make a video, then transcribe it. You know, there's websites like Descript.com. So, you know, do your selfie video and then run it through a transcription tool and then polish up the, the transcription results and then turn it into a blog. So there's a lot of ways to clearly tap into very specific topics instead of just vague, generalized garbage SEO Mm -hmm. topics that you see Mm -hmm. a lot of times. Yeah, that's a great tip. And do you suggest, um, actually, this is a good one. Um, We obviously, we can create content, written, video, audio, like we're chatting now. Do you suggest that people uh, mix it up or is there one that's better than the other? Or are you of the belief of do the one that you feel most comfortable with. So which way, which way do you sort of um, go mm-hmm. in, in what people should do? And I put that in air quotes, you know, mm-hmm. depending on what Google says or what is more natural for them. All of the above. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the SEO answer is text, right? Google mm-hmm. can only rank what it can read. And there are certain limitations on video being able to be deciphered and understood. But that doesn't mean that you can't, you know, you brought up a great point, do do what you prefer, feel more comfortable with. So that's why I said the video example, because if you're more comfortable with video, then, then do the video. Mm. But then there are easy ways like those transcription tools mm-hmm. to convert it to text and then 90% of the article is written. So search engines will read text way better than video. Mm. And then you also have to think about, um, you know, a lot of people think about, well, Damon, tell me about voice search. Well, if you think about Mm. voice or all of the, any new future SEO thing, a search engine thing, it's still a core functionality of plain old web design and good user functionality. Like there's not webmasters on the other end going, all right, if, if Google asks me this or Siri asks me that, then dictate back this audio thing. And they're, they're not webmasters recording video th- and audio everywhere. What's happening is you do the voice query and Google goes and finds the best answer. And that answer is contextual. It's text-based. And, and, and so you, when you write good content, solve problems, answer questions, it's going to kind of future-proof your SEO. Uh, and so you don't have to get like any new thing that comes along usually backs into a core SEO process, good design, good user experience, you know, readable content, blah, blah, blah. So, um, 
so so start where you are comfortable yeah definitely because if you're going to force yourself to write then it's not going to happen but find a way to get to the point of writing or converting it to a, a written piece as well mm, love it i'm a big believer in do what you feel comfortable with to start with but really you want to get to the point where you're repurposing as much as possible so once you've got video mm. you can extract audio um, we've got a, t- a team that repurposes our content turns it into yeah. blog posts uh, and i'm a big believer in how can we get the biggest bang for our buck in the least amount of time totally yeah do create an assembly line, right? And so um, go from, you have a starting point, maybe it's a podcast or a selfie video, and then that goes into transcribing it into a, you know, a 500 to a thousand word blog. And then from that perfectly polished blog piece, and if you hate writing, then, you know, send it to um, a VA and to polish it up. And then from there, you can chop up paragraphs into mm-hmm. little Instagram snippets or chop it into a two-part LinkedIn post. I mean, there's a ton of stuff. You're totally right. Just do one thing really well and then you mm. can turn it into 20 other things. Yeah, totally. So apart from writing great uh, content or, or posting great content, are there any other little tips or anything that we can look at on our website to, to make sure that we've just got those first little, um, you know, checkboxes ticked in regards to our SEO? Yeah, there's um, there's another free tool that I like. It's called GT Metrics. It's just the letters G T and then M E T R I X dot com. It, it's like a page speed tool. There, there's another one. Some people will be familiar with Google Page Speed Insights. They have the super long URL, so you'll have to Google that Page Speed Insights. <laughs> um, but they, that and GT Metrics kind of do the same thing, but they do it very differently. So page speed insights is nice if you're more of a novice because it gives you more generalized answers and it's like, Hey, like this thing could be better, but GT metrics gives you very granular specific answers, which is amazing because then you can get right in to fix that thing, but it's much more, you know, surgical precision. And so if you're not familiar with web design and terminology, then it might go over your head. Mm-hmm. So between those two, um, you can really focus on page speed, which is a huge factor nowadays. Um, especially because, I mean, it's two two layers deep because page speed matters for obvious reasons. Nobody likes to pay a slow website, but also because mobile matters so much. Mm. As of 2016, most traffic in most industries went 50% or more mobile. By now, a lot of industries are like 90%. Mm-hmm. And so mo- page speed matters even more. It matters to begin with like on a desktop, but even more on a mobile. And since mobile is such a huge chunk of traffic, um, page speed makes a big difference. So those are some some free tools that you can kind of diagnose how you can improve your page speed. Love it. Now you've got so much more knowledge than obviously what we can talk about here because you've been doing this for such a long time. Um, tell us a little bit about how we can learn more because I believe you've got a book called Outrank. What do, yeah. what can uh, we learn? What can we learn in that book? So Outrank took me about two years to write. Um, it's it's a, a hybrid of our processes at SEO National, um, but put in a format where pretty much anybody can take it and run and have a blueprint SEO. So I kind of had two readers in mind. One is the smaller businesses or the entrepreneurs that don't have a budget for SEO, but they still deserve to understand how to do SEO correctly. Mm -hmm. And then the other audience is the bigger businesses that value just paying somebody to do it correctly, but they don't know who to ask, Mm. you know, how how do we find the right SEO? How do we make sure nobody's going to take our money and run? So it's, it's very literally a a blueprint, but uh, you know, I have a copy here. I got to read you. I got to read you a sentence. It's funny. So in the, the first sentence of the intro, it says, let's be honest. A book about SEO doesn't sound like the sexiest topic. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so understanding that SEO obviously gets technical, I, I balanced it with some really fun stories about how I outranked a billion dollar company and how um, I, you know, just all these cool things that keep your, keep your interest, but also validate how SEO works and the value it can bring to you. So it's like a good balance of entertaining stories in the first couple couple chapters, but they illustrate the effectiveness of SEO and then it gradually gets into the more technical stuff. Mm. Even though the SEO isn't very sexy, I reckon if you put something into Google and you come up number one, you're going to be feeling pretty sexy. 
pretty sexy yeah pretty sexy so So where do we go to get a copy of outrank um you can go to freeselbook.com and then there's download on there um there's no upsell like i said i'm not pukey kind of salesperson on the thank you page it'll invite you to a free facebook group also called outrank i throw in an update every other day in there um so freeselbook.com Beautiful. Damon, thank you so much for uh, coming and chatting with me today. It's been really great. We've touched on so many subjects and you've given so much value, so much insight into, you know, how you've grown your business, how we can use that to grow ours. If there was one thing that you would like to leave our listeners with that would really, you know, wrap this episode up in a beautiful gift box, what would that be? Man, putting the pressure on me. Oh, I know. Just, I would, <laughs> you know, the two, the, the two things that always come to mind when I see early entrepreneurs is they either, they, they, like you have to start, right? Like starting starts with starting. It sounds so stupid, simple, but it is. Um, I, I think that people overthink things too much. Um, and it's not to say that business plans are bad, but 90% of everything you mapped out is going to go out the window about four mm. weeks into it anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you might as well like start. Four whole weeks or four days. <laughs> four days, yeah, whichever. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say start and, and then, I mean, this is so simple, but start and then don't stop um, because you're, you need to start to figure out what's going to work. You're going to change your business plans. You're going to change who your audience is. You're going to change your product, but you don't know how to change it. You don't know which customer to change and pivot towards. You don't know how to change your product until you get that feedback. So just like get out of the way, uh, get it out of the way. Um, and then, and then don't give up. I mean, there's uh, business takes time, right? Um, you're not going to have a home run in, in the first couple months. Uh, statistically speaking, I mean, you got to get to years two, three, and four, to to even really start to hit a home run but after that it's the best thing ever i mean i'm 14 years into this and i wouldn't change it for the world and and reach out to your fellow entrepreneurs um the 99 of everybody out there is rooting for you we've been there mm-hmm. before or we're going through it now and you'll find a lot more common ground than than you expect and a lot more willingness to listen than you probably probably you're thinking beautiful thanks so much for joining me damon it's been a pleasure thanks Martha. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to the show. Whenever you're ready, here are three ways I can help you. Number one, grab a free copy of the Thought Leaders Positioning Checklist over at samanthariley.global forward slash checklist. Number two, check out my inner circle for coaches, experts, and change makers over at samanthariley.global forward slash inner circle. Or number three, connect with me to discuss how I can work with you on a more personal or a one-on-one level at hello at samanthariley.global. I look forward to hanging out with you here again on Thursday, right here on the Thought Leaders Business Lab.